If you have your Bibles, will you turn please to Psalm the 119th chapter. And let me just say something to you very, very quickly here as you turn to Psalm 119. We are going to fly through this sermon this morning. So you're just going to have to buckle up, get your pen out, get ready to write down a few things, jot them down, because we're going to fly because I'm going to finish this in about 10 minutes because I have something else that I feel like God has told me that we must address this morning. So be prepared. Here we go. This morning we're continuing in the sermon series called New Life. We're looking at what we are calling a new habit when Jesus Christ invades your life and you become a believer in Jesus Christ, then new things happen. And one of them is that you will gain a new habit in your life. Now, people have called this a quiet time and you have heard that, that terminology before, but quiet time is never referenced in scripture. You cannot find any place in scripture where Jesus said, and every one of us must have a quiet time. It is not there. You will not find that terminology in, at all in scripture. But what you will find in scripture is that there is over and over again referenced a desire for God, for knowing his word, for prayer, and secluded time alone with the Savior. That is all referenced in Scripture. And you'll see those Scriptures throughout the bulletin notes here. And I will reference them this morning in the sermon. And so this morning what I want to talk to you and to myself about is what are the best practices that will cause us to spend more quality time with God? What do you and I need to do? What will encourage us to spend more quality time with God? You'll look at Psalm 119. If you look at verse 11, it says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Well, that's a wonderful reason to meditate on God's word, to look at it, to study it, to learn it, to spend time in it is because when you store it up in your heart, then you will not sin against God. Psalm 119, same chapter, verse 97 says this, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. It is cause for us and it is scripturally commanded to us to meditate on it, to fall in love with it, to spend time with it. You'll see reference there, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, where it talks about all God, all scripture rather, is breathed by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why would you not want to spend time with God, time in prayer with God, time studying his word with God, when you know that this book that he has given to us is his love letter to us and it's so beneficial to us because it can uh, correct us and it can train us in righteousness. And Psalm 1-2 says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. And that is what we are called to do. We are called to be meditators on God's word. And the only way we can do that is to have a new habit in our life and to spend quality time with the Savior. How can we do that? Two things I want to tell you very briefly. One is this, you have to follow these biblical requirements. You must follow these biblical requirements. The first thing is this, we have to have a proper attitude. Psalm 63, one says this, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. 
My, my question to you this morning and my question to myself is, are we people who earnestly seek after God? Are our souls thirsty? Is our flesh fainting to spend quality time with God each and every day of our life? On one of the mission trips that we took to Africa, we were out in the middle of nowhere and we, I, I, I remember thinking distinctly to myself, if we were to be killed here, to have a car wreck, to die, somebody attack us or anything, nobody would ever find us because we are in the middle of nowhere. This place where we are standing is the very definition of nowhere. I thought if they looked it up in the dictionary and it said nowhere, it would be a picture of me standing right where I was standing that day. It was just the middle of nowhere. And I began to have an enormous thirst, and I, and I mean a literal, physical, wanting to have some water. And I began to think to myself, you know, if, if I was back in Nacogdoches, I could walk to the kitchen. I could get in my car and drive, uh, you know, less than a mile to a store. I could be overwhelmed with water. But where I'm at now, there's nothing except for the fact that our missionary had brought an ice chest with water in it. No ice, because we were in the middle of nowhere, but at least it had water. And I remember grabbing that bottle of water, opening it up, and drinking it, and my, my literal physical thirst being quenched like it had never been quenched before. And the reason it was quenched like it had never been quenched before is because I felt like there was nothing around that would allow me to get water, and then all of a sudden, I found out that we did have water. Well, that's just like you and me. So many times we think there's nothing that will quench us in our time of need. Nothing that will satisfy us when we need to be satisfied. But I'm telling you that this love letter that was written to you and to me will satisfy you like no other. And it will quench your thirst. Not only should we have a proper attitude, but we should always look for a proper place and time. Mark 1.35 says this, And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for you to get up every morning, spend some time reading the Word and praying to the Savior. If it's good enough for him, it's good enough for you. A quiet place in a specific time. That's what he does, and that's what we should do. Well, not only should we follow these biblical requirements, but the wonderful thing is when we follow these biblical requirements, we will discover these biblical blessings. When you spend time alone with God, when you spend time meditating on his word, when you spend time in prayer with him, when you spend time just being with the Savior, you will discover biblical blessings in your life. And they're there listed very plainly in scripture. And I have not enumerated all of them, but I've just listed a few of them. One of them is spiritual health. Spiritual health, not physical health. We get that confused sometimes. We think, well, if I spend time with God, then I'll be physically fine. That's not true. Uh, just spending time with God will not make you physically fine, but it will make you spiritually fine. Healthy. Second Peter three seventeen through eighteen says this: You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. 
But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. You, when you grow in knowledge, you will come into the grace of Jesus Christ and you will not be carried away into lawlessness. That's spiritual health. The spiritual health of your body is being protected. The spiritual health of your mind is being protected when you spend time in the Word. When you meditate, when you love the Word, when you spend time in it, and when you pray to the Savior and spend time with Him, then your spiritual health is going to be protected. Not only will your spiritual health be protected, but you can receive godly counsel in your life. You can receive godly counsel. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17 says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be uh, complete, equipped for every work. Let me explain to you what uh, the old saying here is about the training, the reproof, the correction, and the training in righteousness. The training or the teaching will make you right. The reproof will help you to know what's not right. The correction will help you to get it right. And the training will help you to stay right. That's what that scripture is teaching you and me. And it's godly counsel to you. It, when you read the scripture, when you meditate on it, when you learn it, when you pray to the Savior, he's going to tell you what's right. And He's going to tell you what's not right. And He's going to correct you when you're wrong. And He's going to train you to live your life better. That's great news. Because so many of us are asking, what am I supposed to do with my life? Well, what you're supposed to do with your life is spend time with the Savior. Because when you spend with the time with the Savior and spend time in His Word, He will tell you what He wants you to do. The third thing is this. The, you'll have the biblical blessing of true joy. True joy. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you want to experience what the fullness of joy is? Do you want to know what joy is? Spend time in His Word. Spend time talking to the Savior. There's, there's only joy in Jesus. Nothing else will satisfy your soul like Jesus. Your soul will not be satisfied because you're financially independent. Your soul will not be satisfied because you can run a marathon. Your soul will not be satisfied because you earned your PhD. Your soul will not be satisfied because you married Miss America. Your soul will only be satisfied by saving the saving grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Nothing else will satisfy like Jesus and finally, you will find incredible peace, the blessing of incredible peace. Isaiah 26, 3 says this, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You want to know how to have peace in your life? You put your mind on Jesus Christ. When I was preparing for this sermon this past week, I never realized how much I would need to use that verse almost instantly. But on Friday afternoon, late Friday afternoon, I was texted by a very young friend of mine that has been the privilege for me to get to know over the past seven years. His name is Julius Cairo, and he's from the Garrison area. And Julius uh, and Evan, my son, my middle son, became friends about eight years ago, just real briefly had something where they connected together and formed a friendship for a little while and 
Laura and I connected with Julius and Evan and Julius really didn't stay friends that much. They didn't have a fight or anything, but they just kind of went their separate ways doing their separate things. But, but for some reason, I have no reason why Julius connected with me and Laura and we began to just love on them. Uh, Julius is uh, half black and half white. Uh, incredible, incredible young man. Huge young man. He played football at Garrison. He's about 6'3 and probably weighs about 225 pounds. When he first got out of high school, the first thing he did was he got into mixed uh, martial arts fighting. That's how big he is. And that's how much of a warrior he is. He's crazy. I told him he was crazy. I said, why would you want to get in the ring and try and beat somebody's brains out because they're trying to beat your brains out? And I told him he didn't need to do it and he only did it for about a year and then he finally got out of it. And then he had the privilege of meeting a girl named Shanda. And Shanda uh, was not a believer. And Julius was a believer. And Julius and Shanda began to date. And Julius began to share with Shanda the importance of knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And Julius led his girlfriend, Shanda, to the Lord. And they continued to date. And one day Julius called me and said, we're getting married. And Shanda and I want you to perform the wedding. And so I drove down... Uh, to just south of Lufkin in, in the National Forest there. There's a, uh, an area there that has some pavilions and some different places, and I performed their wedding in, in the National Forest down there a few years back. And they moved uh, to the Beaumont area, down around the Beaumont area, and, and Julius, uh, Julius got a job as a, a distributor, a beer distributor, driving a truck for a beer company. And he would call me about every three or four months and say, I hate doing this, but it's paying for my school and it's paying for my wife and it's paying for the child that we're looking to adopt from CPS. And I said, Julius, I, I don't know what to tell you. I said, I know you don't like what you're doing, but I said, I know it's putting money on the table for you right now and I know it's helping you with your family. Here's what we're going to do, Julius. We're going to pray that God would open a door for you to find a new job. And so Julius and I began to pray that together and we prayed that prayer for over a year and all of a sudden uh, the Firestone company called him that owns one of the Firestone stores there and told him that they had heard about him and knew he was a pretty good uh, manager and he was a pretty good mechanic and wanted him to come work for them. And so he left to go work for them and we celebrated God's providence in answering prayers and he became manager of the, the Firestone store. That's what he does now. And his wife is a, a CPS worker. And they've had a great marriage. They've adopted three children. And he calls me every time they get ready to adopt one and tells me about it. He texted me on Father's Day. I think I may have shared this with you last week. If I did, I apologize. But he's the one who texted me and said, I've never had a really true father in my life, but you've been like a father to me and I love you for that happy Father's Day. Holy cow. Friday afternoon, Julius called me on the phone and said, Bobby, and he was in tears. And I thought, what in the heck has happened, Julius? And he said, Bobby, he said, our son's been throwing up for the last few days and talking about a headache and we finally took him to the doctor today and they told us he has a brain tumor. And he said, we're, we just had the CAT scan done and they told us about the brain tumor and we're on the way to Texas Children's right now. 
And they're going to tell us what they have to do. And so we prayed on the phone. And I prayed for Brian, his little boy, four-year-old boy. And I prayed for Julius and Shanda. And I said, Julius, please, if you need me, I'll come. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And he said, don't come now. He said, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'll let you know. Well, he texted me later that night, and they'd taken Brian into surgery on Friday night and put a shunt in to drain some of the fluid that was on his brain. And then the doctors came out and told him that they're going to have to do some more testing, but probably Monday they'll try to go in and take the tumor and see what kind of a tumor it is. He said, we don't have any idea right now what's going on. And I said, well, Jews, I, I said, I don't know if I can be there Monday or not, but I'll do whatever I can to help you. You know I love you. And I said, Julius, can I quote a verse to you on the phone? And he said, please. And I said, Julius, I said, keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him because you trust Jesus. And he said, Bobby, I do trust Jesus. And I said, then if you trust Jesus, it's going to be okay. I said, we'll trust Jesus together for Brian and for the tumor and for everything that's going on. And so I'm asking you to join with me now in, in praying for Julius and praying for Brian. Sweet, sweet people who need our love and our prayers. But I'm telling you, when we walk with Jesus Christ, when we meditate, when we study, and when we learn, He gives us biblical blessings, even incredible peace in the midst of of the storm. Just a couple of things I want to share as I close out this part of the sermon. I've written them down there for you. Convenience is not a characteristic of genuine faith. If you bought into being a believer in Jesus Christ because you thought life would become convenient, you've missed the boat entirely. Life's not going to be convenient. Julius Caro would be the first one to tell you right now that life's not convenient. But he's a, a firm believer in Jesus Christ and you've got to be prepared for anything when you become a believer in Jesus Christ. The second thing is this, and it really leads me into what I want to share with you as we close. I wrote down that we should meditate on, study, and learn Scripture because we're not to use it as a brick to bash heads, but we're to use it as a bandage to heal wounds. If you want to learn this Scripture and if you want to meditate on it, which is my deep desire and my heart's desire, and I believe it's God's desire for all of us to do that, I pray that you would use this not as a brick to beat people up, but you would use it as a bandage to heal their wounds. Because there's a lot of hurting people out there that need to know the gospel of Jesus Christ.